when Brett and I started this thing, we had no idea what we were getting into. We as creators and you as role-playing gamer never know who you're going to interact with in any part of your life. So this one's going out to strength 1800. We hope all is well. Let us know if you need anything. This is episode 258 of Gaming NBS being recorded Labor Day, Monday, September 2nd, 2019. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm the S. I'm the B. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad you're all here. Glad to have you with us. Sean, how the hell are you, man? Oh, man. This weekend, dude, I played Tomb of Annihilation with my buddy Jeff, who is now listened to this uh, podcast. Is he? Is he, he? he listened to the cheater one. Oh. I don't even know. We got done Saturday, <laughs> and he was asking me a question because that's what Jeff does when he levels up. Yeah. He's like, oh, if I take a feat, will my hit points go up? And yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. No, he's suffering right now. He's in it. Got yeah. It. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, and I listened to your podcast. Uh, pretty funny stuff. You know, we had a cheater once. And then he pointed out who who he was referring to. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he was ever a cheater, but those guys always accused him of being a, Like, I have players that accused other players at the table. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that. So Jeff had some real classic doozies. I did not hit the record button. I'm so Uh. mad at myself. I know. And even two of the other guys, my buddy Joe and Andy, were like, oh, dude. They looked at me like after the fact, like, oh. So here's what you got to do is as much uh, as this sucks is you just need to lay the phone down and hit record for the entire gaming session. It's going to be a bit of work to weed through it, but that's what you got to do. I know, but it takes up so much space on your phone over time. I yeah, think. but I'm just saying you get one session, download it, and clean your phone off. You'll be fine. It'll be good. Yeah, I've got one thing recorded. but it- <laughs> Or grab a little portable recorder thing. Throw it down. That. I know. Throw it down. Hit hit record yeah. and watch the magic unfold yeah. before your screen. So, like, literally part of part of the session was literally like, God, it must have been an hour role playing. Just he and I. Because they're trying to parlay and oh, okay. it was between his character and this NPC. Um, but yeah, two of annihilation, the, the saga continues and so does Jeff. And now, now that I, I'm like, now that I know you listen, you know, I have to be careful. He's like, Oh no, don't do that. But just don't give any plot points away. Oh no, we wouldn't do that. No, no, that's, that's funny though. I wouldn't do that to you, Jeff. No, 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 no way. As a matter of fact, maybe I will, Throw some misdirection in there. Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Right? Drop something that's kind of fact, but totally not really. Yeah, like he's going to die. <laughs> yeah, this next something. one, this next one, he's dead. There's no way, there's no way Jeffy can make it out of this one. He's a dead man. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that was kind of my weekend. It's it's far too short. What about you, Brett? Let's see. Short? Yeah, most definitely short. My kids are going back to school tomorrow. Mm. Tomorrow's the day. Yeah, tomorrow's a big day. I got to go to um, uh, <coughs> a wedding of a friend of mine that I met through gaming. I met uh, Kelly Pilot from uh, – she's a LARPer. She was part of the Last Hope LARP. And because of her, I got them engaged at uh, at Evercon and whatever. And Kelly's just a bunch of fun. And I met her fiancé, Jacob, and they had their wedding 
this last Saturday, and it was a goddamn blast. That was a lot, a lot of fun. Oh, that's good. A lot of fun. Yeah. And um, one we of the need, other- We need wh- some upper, upper, up, up kind of uplifting events. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one of the other um, couples that was there, um, Sadie was there with her baby, and um, Sadie's partner, Gabriel, was there, and Gemma, the little, little one. So Susan and I got to pass the baby around. I love babies. Babies are cool. They're adorable. Um, glad I don't have them anymore because they're a shit ton of work. Yeah. But uh, it was kind of cool. And it was just LARPers are great. They're just a fucking hoot, man. Yeah. So it was a lot of, a lot of fun, plenty of drinking, good times. Well, that's fantastic, Brett. And then it was uh, grilling out today because it's Labor Day. You got to grill out, right? Because that's what you do. And uh, cleaning stuff. And going through my office gaming area slash hunting preparation spot and just trying to get things ready and realize that not only does school start, but in like two weeks, archery season starts. So got to make sure I get all my shit together and I'm locked and loaded. Ay, ay, ay. No gaming for me, though. But you got some gaming in, so that's good. Let's see here. Our forums are still going, announcement-wise. Yeah. Yes, they are, and they they seem to be in full swing. So if you haven't checked them out, head over to forums.gamingnbs.com if you're so inclined. Um, or it, And you don't have to create an account to kind of peruse or lurk. But, yeah, there's some pretty decent discussions. Um, I should say one of the things yeah. that threw me off, I'm behind on the forums, and here's why I had to rebuild my iMac. The damn thing was crawling horribly. So I backed the whole thing up, destroyed it, rebuilt it over this weekend. So I was without a PC for a little bit type of thing. But back in tr- back on track. All good. All good again. I'm going to get in there, see what's cooking. So I, I meant the reason Brett bring, brought that up was because I said, hey, man, you kind of kind of have to mingle about the Avalon. Component. Yeah, which I fully intended yeah. to do. I just didn't realize I was going to have to rebuild my goddamn computer. So you'll you'll see him come over there and. What the hell's going on? That's all wrong. Wrong, tell, wrong, tell, wrong. Tell everybody how they're doing everything wrong. So, yeah, no worries. Yeah, because that's how we roll here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anything else, man? Uh, nope. No oh, way. I should I should call out. I think we've mentioned this before at Game Hole Con because it's on Halloween. They've got the whole Halloween thing cooking, right? Oh, gosh. So um, my wonderful wife was like, hey, you and Sean should give away candy. I'm like, oh, okay, sure, we'll do that. And then uh, we talked to Alex. We're like, how much candy should we have? And Alex is like, I have no fucking idea. It could be a bust. It could be a thousand people. It could be. He said, have as much as you can. See what you give. See what you have left at the end. So, well, we'll have candy. We'll be on the map. We'll be so on the for context-wise, Alex lives in Middleton, which mm-hmm. is a suburb of Madison. I don't know if they have fifty thousand people or twenty-five thousand people, but his kids go to school there, and he sent his youngest youngest with his youngest child or two along with them flyers for Halloween at Game Hole Con to the entire school. Of course he did. <laughs> um and it, and I think m- maybe multiple schools cuz I think they got a couple grade schools. So literally it is open to the public for anybody yeah. that wants to bring their kids to trick or treat. So they literally like when I was a kid if you could go to one like apartment complex and knock out like fifty places without walking five miles, right? That's pretty that, cool. That's a big score. It's so a huge score. That's what they're gonna do at Game Hole Con is you know bring your kids. It's it's free to the public. So if you're local or even you know outside of Madison, uh, I wouldn't expect people to drive from Illinois for trick or treat. But 
you come up. Uh, you know, I could see Chris and Sadie, the man, Chris Steele and Sadie, bringing a little one up. I could see that that because they're gamers. I could see this happening. Right. I mean, my kids are coming. I mean, granted, they're at 11 and 13, but they're still coming. They're going to be there. Positive. We, I have to figure out what I'm going to dress up like. I thought maybe Brett. <laughs> I don't know if I can pull Brett off. Yeah, get some platform shoes. You'll be Johnny right. Bravo. Maybe might be low hanging fruit. It might be low hanging fruit, but old, you can pull old, it off. Old, old Johnny old Bravo. Johnny Bravo <laughs> old Johnny Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Arg. Um, let me think. So we're talking about cons. Oh, Evercon, Evercon.org. Um, going to keep pushing on this one. We have we're open now for submissions, early badge registration, all that good stuff. I'd love to have some BSers show up and run some games. We've had a really good selection of games the last three years. This will be our this is our 20th anniversary, so we'd love to have some some D, some Dungeon World, anything, Call of Cthulhu, all the cool stuff, anything you kids today are playing. Don't care. Love to have you there. And I know BSers run damn good games. They're damn fine gamers. So any and all of you, I would love to have you at Evercon, evercon.org. Check it out for dates, times, and all that stuff in January. I know it's a ways out. But um, as you know, with any good convention, the sooner we have events listed, people start mulling around, oh, I wonder if I'm going to go to that con. Maybe I want to check that con out. Then they go and say, holy shit. It's already September, and they already have 30, 40 games, and things are rolling in. It's constantly changing. That's cool, right? That helps to drive the convention, the more events you put in and so on and so forth. So hopefully we can get more events kind of dribbling in, driving in, doing all that good stuff. So anyway, love to have our BSers run some events. Sean, anything else? Should we move on? Yeah, we should move on. Random encounter. All right. You can start. I, I started last time. Matt from House V comments on art and RPGs on the website. On art, I am a dissenter here. I don't <gasps> care about art or aesthetics in general. I'm hyper utilitarian in real life and sometimes get mad that it's taking up valuable real estate in the book. <laughs> That's funny. Aww. It's funny because I had just read through Mutant Year Zero, which looks pretty fun. I don't think I've ever actually played a real hex crawl. Oh, Matt, why does it look pretty fun? Oh, looks. Huh. Or should have said reads pretty fun? What do you mean there, Matt? It reads pretty fun, probably, Matt. All right, carry on, carry on. Okay. Poke, poke, Matt. (laughs) Love you, Matt. Uh, the day be oh I don't uh, the day before the episode Anne was annoyed. Oh, let me read that. I had just read through Mutant Year Zero the day before the episode and was annoyed scrolling through it because of all the art. Oops, so far so much for that. No, oh, well, that's okay. It's okay. However, I am the only person I've ever met who thinks this way, so I know it's me that's wrong. What? Oh. That's now, very self aware. You can't tilt the tables on me, Matt. <laughs> that's very that's either very self-aware of you or some mean ass reverse psychology. Yeah. Now I feel bad. Now we can both kind of feel bad. <laughs> it's like, Matt's got me so going which direction. All right. Despite my preference, art is going to be a big deal for my game, but I'll need someone with an eye for aesthetics to help with sourcing. Maybe some BSers. Duh. On cheating, ah, he's got a got a double whammy here. On cheating, as an adult, I've never had a prolific cheater in one of my campaigns. If someone fudges a dice once in a while, I don't really care. That's their way of having fun, even if they are wrong. I have at least one guy at my table currently who will fudge something once or twice a session. It's not distracting from anyone else's enjoyment, 
and it seems to make him happy, so it's whatever to me. And frankly, Matt, I'm in the same boat as you on that. Yeah, one. I can I can get with that. I can totally get with that. Yeah, you want to fudge one die roll? Go f- great, fine. Knock your socks off. However, I would sometimes get huge cheaters back in my PFS days, or what we refer to as Pathfinder Society. Um, and usually it was a guy whose build was already insanely optimized. Usually I'm fine with optimization. I prefer it because it makes encounter design a lot more interesting for myself. But an opti- optimized cheater in pre-structured scenarios is annoying. Sometimes another player would call them out, but I usually just let it slide and never invited them back to one of my tables. A big downfall in structured play is people will tattle on you, and I never wanted to get that involved with the devs, though every friend I knew who got tattled on ended up with a favorable result. I could see how if you had one of those guys at your table regularly, you know who you are, synth summoner, it could really <laughs> suck. I also have seen the role, the, the role, the D20 multiple times, uh, thing Brett talked about in PFS, almost always younger kids. That whole clatter, clatter, clatter. Sorry, just rolling dice for fun. Oh, look at that. I got 20. Oh, it's my turn now? Oh, well, yep. Yeah, yeah, I just rolled that. Hey, it's, yeah. I rolled yeah, it like, like, like amazing. a few, few seconds ago. Also, on die, dying rolling up a new character, uh, a lot of times, especially back in the day, you'd come in under-leveled slash geared when you died. I don't remember this well, if this was true, Jesus, <laughs> let me try that again. I don't remember if this was a rule or just a thing that happened at the table I ended up at. This is a pretty big deal in D20 game and others and some others and can lead to a pretty terrible death spiral where you are doomed each session because you keep losing levels. It wasn't uncommon back at 2E for one death to lead to five or more in a row, usually culminating in a rage quit. <laughs> rage quit. Throw your stuff in the snow. (laughs) If your GM plays this way, I think the motivation to cheat death is significantly greater. Yeah. I just maybe one level lower. Maybe That's usually, well, like he said, I don't know if that is a rule in the book either, but I do recall my, my crew has always done that. I don't know why. It's like some weird kick in the, kick in a crotch extra punishment for dying. You died? You know, you're fucked by a level two. Well, come on also- back. You're one level lower. And the reason we always did that back in the day was it was deemed unfair because you can make a brand new character at the same level. Everyone else worked so hard to get to. That would be my argument. So that was the argument. Yeah. I don't know if that actually equates to fairness or not, but that was how it was perceived at the time. That's what I would say, too. It's like, wait a minute. So everybody that dies just gets to be the same level as me. So what's the incentive for me just to keep to living? keep going? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, True. Don't know. I, I don't know, man. Uh, if your GM plays this way, I think the motivation is significantly greater. I guess overall, I don't mind minor cheating if it's not upsetting game balance a whole lot. If no one else cares, and if it makes that person happy, I'd prefer they not. And if it's more than a couple times a game, I'd probably call it. But overall, it's not disruptive. I'm pretty complacent to it. Matt. Dig that, Matt. That makes sense. Matt, thanks for writing in as always, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we've got James King Silverbolt on art and RPGs. Hey, BSers, thank you for your discussion on art and RPGs. I can't begin to describe how important art is to me in our books. To be perfectly honest, 
If I read just rules or content from even the best books, I have a hard time staying awake. I'm a highly visual learner. P pictures help me navigate through the book. As an example, one of the best ways for me to remember a section of rules is remembering a picture close to the area of the book I'm looking for. Same here, dude. Hand up on my side. That that totally... The picture in the book helps me find stuff in the book. They do make good those. bookmarks, yeah. They do make very good visual bookmarks. Here are some other things that I thought are important about RPGs that weren't discussed. Reusing art. I'm looking at you, Palladium. <laughs> While we usually want to see art that is fairly good quality, most people feel ripped off if they buy a new book and see over 50% of the art content is reused from other books. TSR was famous for this for the longest time. I don't know if Watsy still does it. But I remember seeing the same hammer, magical hammer of Karas or whatever, or whatever. The same magical dwarven warhammer splattered throughout. It was the same fucking picture. I remember this. Anyway, all sorts of stuff like that. This is especially maddening when you can tell the art was originally created for something else was placed in the book you just bought. A good way to get around this is updated work. Savage Worlds, I noticed, took some works that were black and white and hired artists to digitally enhance work with color and modernize those works. Good call. The Power of Sequential Art. Werewolf the Apocalypse 2nd Edition was the first RPG book I ever owned and loved that book. I thought... At first, because I had a really good, cool comic in the front and back, it also had a battle between the two main characters fighting over the span of the combat chapter. The book also had used a, a comic format to describe how gameplay looked to help a character, excuse me, to help the player see how the game would flow and feel. This format of sequential art also explained um, turn system in a very reinforced way that a visual learner could understand. I do have that book. I remember that as well. The sequential art through the combat, you watch the werewolves fighting the character the characters would fight through they actually white wolf did that in a lot of books a lot of the world of darkness stuff had sequential art throughout um the combat section and other in other places if i remember correctly well i gotta imagine the art order is easier right it's like hey we want draw me a, a, a fight between these two werewolves over five shots right the, the and this is the winner at the end right Move like instead of going, well, we th we want a piece of this, we want a piece of like a piece that's like this. That'd be kind of fun to draw, I would think. I think so too, but I mean, then it, but it's fairly. I mean, I think it's. Oh, you want a sequence using the same two things? Got yeah. it. Okay, neat. Next up, we have here using art to, uh, to setting tone. All flesh must be eaten's background shows a very slurpy, meat-like flesh, letting you know things can be very gory, and it's encouraged. While other titles show art that depicts gore turned down and more about action and mystic powers. What is the most violent thing you've seen in any Star Wars system, for example? People don't play Star Wars because they don't because they don't <laughs> people don't play Star Wars expecting uh flesh bits. Other games mix qualities to suddenly clue in players that certain areas are or characters are pretty serious threats and not to take them lightly. Players can look through manuals and the player can point and say, That's what I'm interested in fighting to help the GM set the tone as well as helping GM get excited and say, that's what I want my players to fight. Yeah, see, that's why I like Rogue One for Star Wars. And what I thought was probably my least appealing Star Wars era book, which is Age of Rebellion, has a bit of a kind of a kind of a hook for me because I would take a Star Wars and like make it Inglorious Bastards. Like an actual war movie. It I would, says yeah. wars in the title. I think you, and I, I see what he's saying. I really do. And that's why it is kind of the theme that it is. And mm -hmm. Star Wars is, you know, rated PG and there's kids that are involved yep, and yep. stuff like that. But man, I run Star Wars at a con, dude. It's, it's rated R. And it's, if, especially if it's during war, war is not 
glamorous. And it's for violence. It's for violence in combat. You're not like no. trying to NC-17 sex it up or anything. No, you're just, you're no, just no, like no, It's no. just like, you know, combat and violence and arms get shot off and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's not, we're not putting lipstick on it. Got it. He continues, artist that I love, Ron Spencer from Werewolf and other White Wolf products. I like how monstrous he is creatures are. Talon from D20 Ravenloft, great at creating individual characters. And Wayne Reynolds, incredible action and great-looking fabrics, metal, and other textures. A defense of early artists showing most... <laughs> excuse me. In defense of early artists showing more figure than costume, reference for costume wasn't easy to come along. I would agree with that. Anyway, thanks for your wonderful comments on art. I honestly think it's more important than just looking pretty, creating mere interest in the book. May your games be epic and your friendships be legendary. James King Silverbolt. Thank you, James. Yes, thanks, James. Over to you, sir. Rory from House Weston on Art and RPGs. Hi, guys. I've been enjoying your podcast immensely since episode 210. And since you're, since then, your weekly shows have been a feature of my podcast listening. Well, oh, very nice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rory. As I am an old grognard, blue box D&D chits because there were no dice included in my set. Last February marked my 39th year of playing D&D. Oh. That's solid, man. Very yeah. cool. Now, as I've said before, 39 years, you've played every day for 39 years, Rory. He may well have. I played every year. All the, I'm probably rare every day. since they're every, every day. day. Come on. No one every plays day. every day. Wow. That's like my job. Imagine like playing D&D every day for eight hours as a job. Be better than the job I have. I don't think even Wizards does that. No, nah, probably not. No. Anyway, carry on. I'm not prone to listening to instructions, so I've been paging through your back catalog, listening to whichever episode strikes my fancy, rather than starting with episode one. Fair enough. Oh, I like the I yeah. like the Rebel Rory Rebel. Uh, Do I can it. See, hey, I can see Rory. He marches to the beat of, of a of, of his, his own, own drum. Yeah, exactly. Of his own drum. I can respect that. Absolutely. So can I. We don't mind. We don't. We don't mind the occasional lemming. Yeah. No, no it's good. It's all good. Sort of how I read my first edition DMG back in the day. Heh. <laughs> I think that's how most of us read that book back in the day. Oh my anyway. God, that thing. <laughs> Keep going. Some of the stuff just. Oosh. It was bad. Yeah. I thought it was time to join the conversation and give you kudos for holding up your end for so long. Congrats on keeping the podcast so inclusive, interesting, and upbeat. I really enjoyed this latest episode as I've always associated art and maps with D&D. Cover of the old blue box with the dragon waiting, awaiting the adventurer and the cutaway side view of the skull dungeon in that same box fired my imagination back in the day, and I never tired of the art of the game. Collected all the art of D&D books down through the years as well as the calendars back when they re-released them regularly. I remember fondly the first D&D calendar filled with Hildebrand art. Yeah. I think I had, the, I had the Dragonlance one, I think. I had a Dragonlance one. Hildebrand did a lot of really cool art, though, for yeah. that calendar. I remember that. Did he do Hummels? May have. Hummels. I cut that calendar apart and used the picture as wall art when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. Once the calendar's done, you pull it apart, man, and put up all the... Fuck, yeah. That was a, that was a reason to hang on to that yeah. stuff. Yeah. These days, the first thing I do when getting ready to run a new campaign is collect art for the game. I grab selections of images to interest 
into session zero handouts to give players a sense of the game. I was doing that on Google Plus. I had a private circle. In other words, it was a circle. I don't know how many G plusers we have on the show, but essentially you created circles and then you could share to those circles and you could put people in those circles. And if they were there, they could see anything that you shared. All the different groups and stuff. I group. did. Yeah. yeah you, you would be able to say, hey, here's art that's invocative of X. Yeah. It's awesome. But I kept mine private and it was only art. So when anybody ever shared something I thought was cool and evocative, I would share it to that circle so I could ever reference it later. Well, that's gone. But anyways, I thought it was interesting at the time. <laughs> it was fun at the time. Yeah. Carry on. Uh, let's see. Okay. I use images as often as possible uh, for NPCs and monsters and hang them off my DM screen for the players when they are at a specific locale for which I have an image. When I ran Tolis, a Tolis game, about a decade ago, I gathered about 100 images some from the book and some from online that fit the setting and put them on a rolling screensaver on my PC monitor, which I left on in the background during the game session. I'd add or remove images as the campaign went on, and the players always seemed to notice when something changed, and I think it helped us get into the setting more easily. Anyway, I'll hit up the website and link some of my favorite pieces of D&D art. Keep up the good work, Rory. Nice. Yeah. Very thanks, cool. Thanks, Rory. Thanks I did a very similar it. thing when I first started running Avalon to make sure that people got it. I had collected art images from online that were evocative. I'm like, oh, this works. This is the type of thing. This is the type of thing. And sure. And then I, <laughs> because I have, I have a whole mess of kids and they do science fair projects to get the three fold out board thing. So I got one of those and just thumbtacked the shit out of it with all these cool images. And I would have it hanging behind me. Or next to the table or whatever. And I would say, you'd see something that looks just like this, but blue. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I know what that is. Oh, what's that thing? That's, you know, use them as references. And it was really, really helpful. And now it's all Matt Morrill. Yeah, because he's fucking awesome. <laughs> so that's that's Brett's base now. Matt does great stuff, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. All right, next up, we got Steve Orlick on Art and RPGs. Greetings, O Masters of All Things BS. I figured I'd chime in with my thoughts on Art and RPGs. I definitely feel art is important when it comes to games. I think a core rulebook without it wouldn't give you a proper feel for the game. you got to have some sort of visual representation of what the game is about. That being said, I don't think it has to be masterpiece-level artwork. I thoroughly enjoyed the basic drawings in the early D&D books, especially the full plate-clad fighter jumping into the wizard's arms to escape a rust monster. I do remember that one. I think that was a Tom Wom. Maybe. No, somebody else. Anyway, carry on. Uh, these goofy little pics let me know that it's a game. You're supposed to have fun with it. When it comes to favorite artists, I have to go with Boris. Bear in mind, I saw his work as an early teen, so yeah. Boris Vallejo. Uh, yeah. I've since grown out of chain bikini-wearing warriors, but as an, as an adult, I'm still fascinated by his art. The way he does musculature is amazing, and his paintings are so vivid. Side note, Boris Vallejo and his wife, I don't know if they're still together, bodybuilders. Oh, Both I didn't know she was. Yeah, and Boris he, I was too. He was, yeah, yeah, and she was too. So, <laughs> muscul they understand musculature. They totally well, that, get musculature. That's the human figure, right? Yes, yeah. right. However, to me, D and D is just always going to be Dave Trumpier. Uh, the spirit of the game is best captured by him. Can you really beat that iconic first edition player's handbook cover? Elmer gets an honorable mention here because he definitely carried the torch for later editions, but he also did a lot of the covers of the books I've read. I admit his art was often the reason I bought the book, especially when trying out a new author. I figured if the author could afford to have Elmore do the cover, it's got to be a good book. Most of the time, that was accurate. The Elmore piece that stands out to me most is the cover of Dragon Magazine number 80. 
Again, that goes back to seeing it when I was a teen. We'll just leave it at that. Anyway, great topic as always. Happy Alive Day, Sean. Steve Orlick. Thanks, Steve. Always good to hear from you. Uh, and then I think the last one is a voicemail for Mr. Chris Schwab. Hey, Sean and Brett, Chris Schwab. How are you? Wanted to touch base about art in uh, RPGs. All right. So, uh, Chris Schwab, penalty uh, using touch base in a voicemail to uh, gaming and BS. Sorry, no corporate speak. Uh, strategize, <laughs> touch base, circle back. Not allowed. Just saying. Continuing. New, new rules of the road. No, this wasn't. This was not clear before. We're just we're we're clarifying it now. We're clarifying. They, it we now. did not post these. We just thought this was assumed, and everybody read our handbook. But apparently, we needed to publicize that. So, just just saying. All right, carry on, carry on. And you know, there's one kind of area that I didn't hear you guys talk about too much, and that is design in RPGs. And I'm not talking about game design. I'm talking about visual design. The reason I brought that up is DM Kojo had, uh, I, I don't remember if he emailed, he probably emailed in about the Star Frontiers cover and how that totally grabbed him. And that made me think of the Traveler Little Black books and their iconic design and how there's very, there's no art on the cover and yet there's, it's art. There's a design, the design choices made. We are very particular aesthetic, and I remember seeing those and being like, what the heck are these? And picking them up at, uh, I don't know if it was at a bookstore or, or a game store back in the late 70s, but man, that design aspect, I don't think we can dis dismiss that um, and how the design can either play into or play against the rest of the art and the actual game design of a game. Anyways, as always, great podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's a good a very, point. Yeah, you, you could do a minimalist approach like that and just grab somebody. You know, yep. when I grab the my favorite version of tra of uh, of the Traveler, duh, lost, the brain lost it, gone now. Anyway, I use the mongoose version I have. It's a hardcover. I love that book, and it has that old school black with the white Traveler and a red line. It just you look at that and go, whoa, this looks very something about that, especially the small books I used to have. I used to have them. I traded them off. I think um, Hobbsy has them now. Anyway, um, point is, is when you look at it, it has a manual feel. It feels like a sci-fi thing. There's something about it that says this is a instructional book from the future. I don't know why, but there's something about its minimalist design that grabbed me. It's like a technical my, manual. Technical manual. Thank yeah, you, especially yeah. with that title. And I do want to say, so I'm going to jump back for a second. So Steve Orlick, you mentioned... Elmore on Dragon Magazine 80. I used to have that Dragon Magazine. Like, that seems weird. So I looked up. It's actually, that's Clyde Caldwell on the cover. That's Clyde Caldwell on 80. So I don't think you meant 80. Um, probably a different one. But that is Clyde Caldwell's art on yeah. the cover of 80. I think, anyway, I think Chris Sharp, thank you, man. I think Steve might have, I'm not mistaken, there were, because some of these um, folks had actually posted links to the art or in the, this one came voice email, I think, with Steve. Mm -hmm. And so some of them had posted on our site, like, this is the art I'm talking about. And they actually put a picture. Um, and I can't remember if you did that, Steve, so I apologize. But anyways, all right. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, everybody, for writing in, calling in. Uh, appreciate it, for sure. Yeah, very good stuff. Thank let's you. Get, let's get to the main topic, Let's Brett. do it. 
righty then. Another week, another topic. Yeah. So, Sean, so I'm going to ask you, do you want to do the Audible or do we stick with what we had planned? Oh, ah, we could stick with what we have planned. I All don't right. know. I, I mean, I could go either way. All right. We'll stick with it. We'll stick with what we got. Okay. Stick with, we'll stick with it. And we'll talk about it another time. All right. So, here's. So, was- the reason Brett's asking is because something came up at the last minute that we were going to probably shift gears, but we can yeah. always talk about it later. Yeah. I think, if nothing else, we might do that next show. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, point being, right now what we want to talk about is Kojo. Speaking of Kojo, as Mr. Shorb alluded to the grandmaster that is Kojo, about genre blending. He talked to us a while back in one of his uh, messages. I'm going to cut through here. I, I pasted a bunch of stuff in the notes so Sean and I could reference back and forth. Um, but he said he wanted to get opinion on blending genres. He's a huge fan of genre mashups, riffs, Dungeon Crawl Classics, Spelljammer Campaign, even Call of Cthulhu stuff. He talks about, you know, he uses the time-honored method of describing things from PC's perspective. Robots are presented as magical animated iron statues. Psionics are just magic. Aliens are just more monsters. Um, he alludes to, you know, having the the lasers and that type of thing. So Expedition to Barrier Peaks. Um, Dungeon Crawl Classics number 79, Frozen Time. Stars are Right, Call Cthulhu 1. Goblins Return, um, SJS1, so Spelljammer 1. See the Gods by Dave Armisen and Dave Ritchie uh, for basic D and D. So, Sean, we've talked I about. Think, this. I don't think I read any of those except for Barrier Peaks. Um, the Frozen Time I have. I'm pretty damn sure. If I don't have it in PDF form, I've got the hardcover version of it. Um, the stars are right. I'm vaguely aware of, but the point is, though, do you like doing that stuff, man? No, no, not at all. Nope. No, 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 no. Keep so if, robots out of my D and D. So if you're playing, if I were to say, "Hey, we're gonna play Barry Peaks," you'd be like, "All right, I'll do it because it's you, Brett." But I, I, I would really want to do it. That would be exactly my approach. Is sure, okay, fine. As long as you're running it, I don't have to do that. That's fine. Like okay. I'm not inflexible. I know. I've done yoga. That's true. <laughs> he's not good Just, at it, but he's tried it. Hey, hey, oh, anyway. So what don't you? Why don't you like to uh, blend the genres? What well, throws you off? I guess I can't say that I wouldn't or I don't like it because there. I mean, I'm reading Delta Green, mm-hmm. so that's my espionage X Files Cthulhu game, right? Yeah, I mean that that's that's a you know I'm, wow, thank you. I didn't even not even think of that that's one. That's a Is game it, that's specifically set up like that. Brett? <laughs> it's genre blending, boom, right from the hey, get go. You're welcome. Well, thank you. I didn't yeah. think you're I right. Did. I'm not on here for my good looks. Apparently not. Well, there you go. I'm not here for mine either. Whose good looks are we here for, Sean? I, anyway, I don't um, know. Definitely anyway. our our BSers. That's a good point. The listener. So that one's got you. I like that one too. Obviously, we talked about Delta Green. Yeah. Is is there something about that one that makes you? Is the genre blending of that one acceptable to you? Using yes. the term acceptable simply because of the genres that's blending are cool. In your opinion, those are all the genres you like. They well, yes, it helps that that is the case. Mm-hmm. That I do appreciate Cthulhu, and I appreciate like the the mythos, and I appreciate the espionage component. But it's also unique because it's almost an um, uh, an alternate reality. Yeah, because in a way, yeah, it, it's, well, it's the hidden I mean, it, it's the hidden reality behind the scenes, right? It's right, hidden, it, it, it references everything. real people. Yes, it does. Right? It talks about John McNamara taking over, mm-hmm. you know, as uh, Department of Defense secretary and 
overseeing. So it's like alternate history type of thing. Yes. Got it. Yes. And, you know, John F. Kennedy investing money into a particular org that's affiliated with Delta Green. Yeah. Majestic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. MJ-12. Duh. Brett's on. He's on. Look at him. I'm on it. He's on. So now you like robots. You like Star Wars. So you got to like robots, right? Well, so they're not robots in Star Wars, Brett. R2-D2 is not a robot? No, Brett. They're droids? Is that the difference? They're droids. They don't say, hey, these aren't the robots you're looking for. Ah, okay. It doesn't say I'm a protocol robot. So does the term droid... Anyway, Brett's such a. No, I'm kidding. So yeah. you like, so obviously you like sci-fi. You like that component, and one would say, one could argue potentially that Star Wars is a bit of a genre blending. Fair. It's like not hard. It's some, not hard sci-fi. Somebody's listening to this, and they're going, "Hey, man, Star Wars is a little bit like that because it's it's got um, sword it's got and sorcery. Samurai. It's got sword and sorcery. It's, it's got the, sword and sorcery in space, man. Freaking Jedi. Yeah, it's sword and sorcery in space. Samurai ninja warriors in space with wizards. It's like a Wuxia movie or Wushu or I can't Wuxia Wuxia I can't know I can never W X I A. Yeah, the guys yeah. from Jenga Hustle are gonna come over and kung fu me to death. Eli, <sighs> yeah, and the yeah. farm dog. Yeah, they'll meet me at game hole and just slap me after this one. But anyway, it's kind of a mashup in a way. It is, yes. So in those instances, okay, like Brett is going to get me to say I love. Genre no, what, what, what I think you're getting, to, I think what I think what I'm hearing you say though, when I think about those pieces, they're they're so tightly woven yeah. that there's a logic and a reason for them. Even if the forces, either midichlorians, which we don't want to talk about, hey. or a magical space Jesus or whatever it happens to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah, boy, that was heretical. Is that Brett, lightning? Is Brett's that lightning? Just, I think that's just, lightning. Brett's just defending every Christian that listens to our show, which is fine. Yes, that's fine. Anyway, yeah. so I think you look at when one of the things that uh, Delta Green grabs you with, and even Star Wars, is the world is very – it's very well built. And so far as there's a logic and connections and so forth. And I think if I take something like Barrier Peaks and have a one-off that doesn't – It's seems not to, the game. It seems, it seems incongruous. Like It's not the game. Let's, so, so that's the biggest difference. Okay. It's, it's not the, the setting. It is a module. Correct. It's an adventure. Mm-hmm. So you're going into it with like, ah, oh, d I'm fighter or I'm thief or rogue and I'm going through and I'm part in, I'm in the service of the queen and I'm going to go on a quest to you don't find like the, uh, the, the magic shock, item. The shock and the the, uh, the differential hits you. You're like, whoa, I didn't sign up to play this crap. Right. Okay. Imagine imagine doing D&D with a dungeon master who just saw Terminator 2. <laughs> okay. Right? Oh, oh, yeah, there's like the silvery body and it's like coming at you and then, and then you're on this like spaceship and, well, they don't say spaceship. A good G- dungeon master won't. They'll describe it. We'll never say gun, yes. Yeah. So the other component now is that if you use Barrier Peaks or any of these – as a gateway to an aspect of the world you weren't aware of, right? Mm. So I think I'm hearing you say if the setting, if it makes sense in the setting, if you went D&D world, wham, Barrier Peaks, and from Barrier Peaks you went, oh, there's more. It John, doesn't just stop here. John Carter of Mars. Yeah, it keeps rolling. Maybe, right, yeah. So so you could, you're you, starting to get close. Like you're not jumping that far. 
Yeah. It's like okay. if there's a if there's a if there's a great a, a, a not degrading. It's not that's not the word I'm looking for. Well, like astonishing swordsman sorcerers of Hyperborea has ray guns. It does. What? It does. It has. Yeah. It has. It has some high tech stuff in it. Oh, Jeff, you're a good guy, man. I know your game rocks, but damn it, I can't do laser guns in my D and D. Now, shit. however, I think, I think if you, if I told you ahead of time, like, hey, we're gonna play Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers. I get my mind is, right. Get your mind right. Say, hey, mm-hmm. this is in here, and here's why. Because the land of Hyperborea, where it sits, it's like this nexus place of all things that used to be outside of it, set outside time and space, blah, blah, blah. If I lay this out for you, be like, okay, cool, I get it. Yes. Sometime in the prehistory or something else, somebody crossed a portal because portals happen. Yeah, okay, fine. There's a goddamn spaceship over there. I get it. Uh, it's uh, Because this set, what I'm hearing you say, Terry, though, What's the Terry Good, what's the, shit, Miss of, uh, shit, balls. Oh, you're talking... About the, the novels, myth? the post-apocalyptic uh, Earth. Oh, Terry Brooks. Yes. Oh yeah, the um the Shannara books. Shannara books. Yes, post-apocalyptic Earth. Yes. Yeah, and a buddy of mine loved those books growing up. Now I got, I think I read Sword of. I read Sword, uh, Elfstone and Wish Song, and but I, I don't know if that ever hit me. I don't know if that. I don't know if I just didn't remember it correctly, or if it I was just, heavily described in the first book. Which well, then is I'm a knucklehead. Smooth. I tried I to reread it a while yeah. ago during hunting season. It was a slog. I couldn't get through it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It might be. My tastes have changed. I'm assuming. Anyway, I think if the setting though has it explained, connected appropriately, and you were warned, hey, there's going to be some weird shit. The setting has some stuff in it. We're going to uncover. It could be kind of wacky. If I prepped you, you'd be okay. But if you were just playing playing D and D, playing Star Wars, and suddenly, wham, I hit you with a totally incongruous glob of stuff that never happened again, had no connection to anything. It was this weird one-off adventure, just not for you. Yeah, it would be like somebody in Star Wars showing up in a suit and tie to investigate a murder. What? Like they're literally wearing a suit and tie, like modern day suit, like. See, like in Star, in, in Star Trek, you can get away with that because you could be in the holodeck, right? You could be a place oh, doing a historical thing. Don't get me whatever. started on the holodeck. But I'm just saying, you. But that world is set such that you could do a thing. You sure. could do that in the world because the setting allows it. You could buy it. You could be like, I don't like the holodeck adventures, but oh, it's a holodeck. It is part of Star Trek, therefore it works. Okay, but what will drive me crazy with that certain example, specific example, is when somebody would say something like, "The holodeck goes awry," and what that setting, what whatever happens in the holodeck, yeah gets outside the hollow deck and now it's like part of the Star Trek episode. Yes, and I'd be yes, like, yes. uh yes. Bad writing, bad writing. <laughs> yes, they've done that, I realize, yes, yes, but yes, those yes. were not my favorite episodes, ladies and gents. But I guess you like you like it to have you like a level of I gotta get my brain in the right place. And if it's sprung on me, it screws up my brain now i'm saying this like i'm picking on you but i gotta say i'm absolutely with you dude and here's why no, I, i'm good i'm good with this otherwise Be- because, this show would be pretty damn boring <laughs> because honestly if i'm playing it if i'm like huh if someone said hey we're gonna do barrier peaks okay i i know what it is yes i've never played it i've read it okay cool i'll play i will play my character stupid doesn't get it and will i will do my damnedest to suspend my disbelief as high on the peg as i can now, if it was that type of thing were introduced, 
my expectation as a player and even as a game master is that, okay, this has now been introduced. We are going to continue the genre blending from here on out. I would also prefer it to be dribbled in initially. Oh, I met a bizarre, seemingly sentient iron statue. We defeated that thing. It had cogs and gears and these weird copper strands that ran through its system and lightning shot from its eyes and it sparked and flared and it was weird. And then you run into the next thing and the next thing, you know, a slow burn almost or or a series of clues leading to the fact that there is more to this setting than initially met the eye. I'm in on, I, I can get in on that. But if it was a, a one-off, like, hey, by the way, up in the barrier peaks, there's this one-off weird fucking thing. And if you happen to go to the barrier peaks, you'll encounter this. Otherwise, you'll never know it. <laughs> there's no bearing on the rest of the planet, which I could totally also see where some people would absolutely groove on that. Like, hey, I've gone to the one weird thing. Like you take uh, John Carpenter's thing. I'm in the Arctic. The one weird thing happens to be the thing out here in the middle of fucking nowhere. If I hadn't been here, I wouldn't have encountered this thing. You know, because there's nothing in that movie or that environment that says, oh, there's tons of these critters throughout scattered throughout the planet. Anyway, totally. That's kind of a weird stretch there, probably. But anyway, I think I'm with you, dude, where I want my setting to have a level of consistency or a build to it so that if I have this adventure, there's more to it. Does that make sense? Yes. And 14-year-old Sean and the Barrier Peaks, the way it was run by the dungeon master, I mean, literally, I don't think we knew what was going on. Like, he would describe something in the module to the extent of like, wait a minute, is he describing a motorcycle? Like a, like a, a light, like a bike you get on and ride. Cause he would say like, okay, there's a lever and there's this and that. So you're almost getting to a point where it's so obscure and your brain is in a completely different place where you don't actually know what he's talking about. Yeah, as so- if your character in medieval times came across the freaking Harley Davidson. Yeah, and it's interesting because there are some schools of thought. I mean, uh, Kojo talks about it like, hey, you know, psionics are just another form of magical effects. An alien, a gray alien is just a weird underdark monster you've never met before or whatever. Fair. Con- conceivably. However, sometimes we will describe something. I'm guilty. Of, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but I'll use this tool as a, as a game master. Like, okay, so think about a 57 Chevy. Got that in your head? Yeah. So think about that, but with wings. Oh, okay. That's what this looks like. Yeah, it looks like that. Oh, okay. I kind of get that. Or think about a horse. Now put wings on it. That's a Pegasus. Oh, okay. A Pegasus with wings big enough to fly. It doesn't make sense. But okay, yeah, sure. If I can buy that. Right. And if you try so hard to keep the shock of the fact that it's a motorcycle or it's a laser gun or it's a, a spaceship or a robot or something, if you try hard, we we can sometimes stumble, fumble our way through really shitty descriptive language that creates this, the players don't know what the fuck is going on. They feel like they're not part of the real adventure. They're getting shitty data. They don't understand what it is. And when someone goes, so you're saying he's like a gun? No, no, no. You don't know what it, you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. It's not a gun. You wouldn't call it a gun because your character doesn't know. What... Oh, for God's sake. You're right. And I do know some players are like, look, tell me it's a gun. I will play my character that I right. don't know what it is. 
trust me, I'll do that. Yeah. Right. So sometimes the the far fetched descriptions for some players and some game masters are almost too much to bear. Yeah, I could see that. Because that's what you're telling me is like, look, these weird descriptions stretching it so that you don't understand that you're standing inside of an airplane becomes too much. You're like, okay, so what? It's a dungeon corridor, but not. It's made of steel, but soft because it bends easy. And there's thrones sitting like church pews. Okay. And they all bend. Huh? What the, you know, you can spend so much time describing the area that the rest of the game just grinds to a halt. I've seen that happen. Yeah. I can see that being very frustrating, especially for people. If you've got a crew that like, look, um, can you bring one of those big metal monsters back so I can beat the fuck out of something? <laughs> bring me another one of those gray-eyed metal things. I'll, I'll wail on that for a bit because they, you know, they're sick of talking about it. I have it on good authority. Spelljammers coming back. Do you? I do. So, what did you did you play Spelljammer at all? Uh, hell to no. the no. <laughs> No. I got it. I got to admit, hell when, no. When Spelljammer first came out and there were sentient hippos, I went, I don't know if I can do this. Um, yeah, I never got into Spelljammer. No. No, it, no, 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 no. However, it's a way to explain the fact that you have to hop in between worlds. Ugh. Just use gates, use planar travel. That's boring, though. <laughs> I never played Spelljammer either. It always struck me as something, huh? Interesting. Don't know if that's for me. You know, I'm that meme that's sitting behind that desk with a sign in front of it that says, "I hate Spelljammer. Change my mind." I hate Spelljammer. Change my mind. Spelljammer's dumb and wrong. <laughs> change my mind. I don't know. Somebody's gonna come up. I I'll tell you what. If you're like Sean, Sean, man, hey Sean, let's talk about this. And you want to come to like, if I'm at a convention and you're like, dude, I am going to, I'm going to run you some spell jammer and you're going to love it. I will say, I will say, okay. And I will say afterwards, it's, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Fine. I will give it, I will give it a try. Hey, it's like that kooky food that people don't want to eat. I will try it and then I will tell you it sucks. So let me throw this one at you because you and I have both played this uh, Shadowrun. I uh, yes. Shadow talk Run. about a talk about a blender, uh, man. I mean, that's true. That's very there much. are there are a lot of I shouldn't say a lot. I'm not, I have met gamers who uh, do not like it because of the blended factor. I it They're like don't put me. don't put dragons in my goddamn no. cyberpunk. Let me what? play a cyberpunk. Dragon oversees the land as a leader. What? Yeah. What's with the elves and the orcs? Can't we just have regular cyber? Why do we have to have trolls? Can I just have cyberpunk? So the story, I kind of understand it has eaten away at me for a long time. But it, the thing that it does do that kind of connects for both you and I is the setting. It's all connected, right? It all makes sense. It's not like a one-off Barrier Peaks adventure. No, there Thrust is an explanation. There's yes. an explanation, and this is how the world is built. Correct. But it... Don't get me wrong. I am not wholly like, like my buddy Jimmy is Shadowrun all in. He runs oh, yeah. games all the, you know, he, that's what he runs at every con. And he's, yeah, on, the catalyst, he's yeah. on the catalyst demo team. 
he's all and he's run every edition and i think he almost has probably every book of every edition he's all in yeah he is but i can also get him to play any cyberpunk game yes he loves cyberpunk he's always loved Shadowrun because of of what for whatever reason i'm getting it's just probably his preference but that has eaten uh, at me for a while like oh god you know if i could just set these aside like i almost go into it with a sense of denial like this doesn't really exist it's just kind of it's there, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. Like I'll play a human, you know, Decker, a human face or whatever. And, oh, okay, Doc plays a troll. He's just a big guy. Like he's just a big guy, like real big, real big. Like, that's <laughs> you're okay. Gonna, you're going to pretend. You're yeah. just going to pretend. I'm going to yeah. pretend. Oh, and that other person, yep, he's really short. He's just a real short guy. He's the dwarf. No, yeah. no, he's just real short. Just real short. Yeah. That's fine. Like I as long as I don't run into a freaking dragon, or which is pretty unlikely, actually. It's very game. unlikely. Yeah. But don't, but I, yes, I like the cyberpunk space and Shadowrun falls into that. And, but I have, I have trained my brain to shut that off. Interesting. That fantasy piece. Yeah. It's got a huge following, obviously, because it keeps coming back. Oh, God. It's, I think. I don't know. It just, you know, sixth edition is on the verge of coming out. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Fifth the edition. Thing, the thing was, that throws me off of Shadowrun, honestly, just to total size the rule system. Well. I've never been, yeah. I've never been overly fond of it. I would almost rather turn it in. I would almost rather play it in GURPS or something. I don't know why. I just, it just kind of. And that's another, I mean, so speaking of, I'll, I'll jump over to there. We should probably start wrapping the sucker up. But you talk about genre blending, your riffs. And your oh jeez! I've never played Rifts. Jimmy loves Rifts too. He's a freaking huge Rifts guy. Like, yeah, I gotta I mean, have a talk with. Like, we gotta have a talk with Jimmy. You could blend <laughs> everything in Rifts all together, all the Palladium stuff. Yeah. Stack it up, Gerps. All the same system, man. You could be a time traveler hopping. I mean, Gerps has this generic universal role playing system, the hero system uh, mm. from the old Champion stuff. I mean, that was again generic. Those allow you to do some of this shit, man. Uh, Savage Worlds. You can blend the crap out of that sucker. It's all there. You know? Yes. And honestly, I would say that most superhero games are genre blunders. If you look at the Marvel Universe, outside the cinematic universe, you look at the Marvel Universe, you have street-level superheroes or antiheroes even, like Daredevil. Um, You've got Daredevil. You've got... um, Punisher, Electro, Nick Assassin, Cage. Punisher, Nick yeah. Cage, blah, blah, Electra. blah. And then you have Spider-Man, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, people fighting goddamn Galactus versus people dealing with the Kingpin. And the, the tech levels are crazy. Crazy yeah. all over the place. You know, you literally have, you know, horrible evil ninja clans running around assassinating the fuck out of people. And Tony Stark's too busy because he's got the Mandarin <laughs> or, or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of blending and smashing. DC Universe has like, you know, Justice League Dark. They have John Constantine, the Trenchcoat Brigade. They've got uh, Swamp Thing and all the um, the dark occult stuff. Shazam, you know, Captain Marvel himself pulls stuff. I shouldn't call him Shazam's Captain Marvel's his proper name. But he, that's all magic. It's all smashed and crushed it together. So superheroes are a really good genre blender as well. Thor, for God's sakes. You know, gar- gods, <laughs> God's sakes, um, as guardians and so on. It's all... It's all genre smashed. You know, I wasn't a big comic book guy, right? I know you weren't. (laughs) 
Oh, I have a set. I mean, I have, I have. I don't know crap about Star Wars. This was my chance to throw yeah. names and terms at no, you. No, that's to, fine. To make... <laughs> I, I get it. I totally get it. I've got some, some. I mean, I'm not ignorant to comics, but I and I have a few select ones, but none compared to like the Barneses. I think they've they oh, yeah. do a podcast on comics and stuff. Oh yeah, Eileen so, yeah. and Brandon, they know their yeah. comics. Yeah. yeah, they outdo me easily. Yeah, yeah. I don't. So have anyway, a, I don't have a weekly poll. <laughs> See, huh? I know what a pull is. All right. Well, we've been going on for a while, man. So I think what we should do is shut the hell up and ask our listeners. Hey, listeners, what do you guys think about these these genre blenders? What is your favorite? Your least favorite? They don't even have to take adventures like Barrier Peaks. Do you have a setting, a game system, or what do you love or what do you hate? Let us know. Hit us up with that good stuff, and uh, we'll talk about it. Now we have meant we have asked like, have you pulled? Have you like pulled that on your players? Yep. Like, have you changed it? Like, oh, you're playing D and D, bop, and then I'm the switcheroo type of yeah. thing. Yeah. So I'm um, if you if it's led to something like that, or you've incorporated that a little bit too, that that would be something we'd be interested in as well. But yeah. All Very right, cool. let's get into the die roll. Let's do it. All right. Shake a shake a shake a shake a. Pathfinder 2 review by Matthew Rossi on blizzardwatch.com. I actually thought it was a decent review. There's some that are kind of like fluffier than others, you know, maybe not. They'll give you a very 100-foot view, but I think Matt did a pretty decent job. And, you know, I'm, I don't know, Pathfinder 2, I read it and I thought, okay, well, this makes sense. This helps because I don't also want to make a judgment on a game that I haven't played. And if somebody's actually written up some details of it. Yeah, I mean, I can sit here and say it doesn't interest me because when I play Pathfinder, my crew is happy with the original Pathfinder. So they may like the second one, man. They may. However, I don't know if I want to bother to reread it and learn it again. I don't know. So I can say at this point, my crew has no interest in playing it. It doesn't mean we wouldn't like it. So everybody that's part of Brett's crew. (laughs) Thanks. Go buy this and make him him run it. And then make him run it. I mean, you're like six to eight people. Like, what's he going to do? Yeah. What's he going to do? Show up and. Put up a fuss and not buy it. Not Not run it. it. Fuck. (laughs) You found my weakness. This is like my kryptonite. Nope, the crypt says we're running this. Son of a bitch. All right, pull it out. My understanding, Brett, and you'll have have to pass this along to the crew, is that Pathfinder 2, Matt talks about how if you want to customize the snot out of something, then then that's what you want to do. All right, all right, all right. Which is something we've talked about. La, la, la. Next one. Next, next, next. Build a Kingdom in D&D, Balderon's Guide to Kingdom Building. Uh, link to our affiliate on DriveThruRPG. It's 167 pages by Adam Hancock. Mighty armies, powerful cities, towering walls and swinging trebuchets, holy sites and vast libraries, rich trade and hidden intrigue, occult lore and loyal subjects. These wonders and more await you in this guide. So at long last, kingdom building rules written in with the mechanics and in the spirit of 5th edition, streamlined, story-driven, party-centered. So this is a little bit different than Matt uh, Coville's. He's got a couple aspects that may be a little bit different than his Castles and Strongholds mm-hmm. uh, book. But, you know, if that interests you, you may want to check out this little gem. And the last one, ahead of Cyberpunk 2077, we played Cyberpunk Red. Um 
and it escalated quickly. An article on TechRadar, and they admit, so TechRadar, I think, typically does video games. Mm-hmm. And they admit, we, all, we write the snot out of video games, but we took it upon ourselves to play the tabletop Cyberpunk Red RPG, which you can get on DriveThruRPG, which is kind of like Dragon Age, right? Dragon Age was a video game. Yep, yep. Now it's down by Green Ronin, um, and you could buy that. But so it's kind of like the same similar kind of um, relationship. So Vic Hood and Henry St. Uh, Leger talk about their foray into the new tabletop RPG, Cyberpunk Red. See, that's that sounds interesting. Yeah. Cool. So there you go. Um, that's what we have for you this week. No reviews that we are been made aware of. No. Brett, what are you talking about next week? Next week, I was thinking about t- checking in on your Call of Cthulhu game, man. Well, it's going to get interesting. I think I have to double check my calendar. I think I play Tuesday, or did I play this past Tuesday? Yeah, if I'm remembering, you should have had another session between now and the next time. So so maybe it's tomorrow. I better so, probably check. So we're going to, yeah, you should check. I should probably check. You should show up at the game you play in the I'm prepared. I know you are. Yeah. It's so amazing we, how far ahead you can read and how slow it takes to get there. That That's something I'd like to talk about with Call of Cthulhu is because you've played a lot of adventures, you know, pre-published stuff, and I'm curious as to your burn. Like, how is it going? How over? How so far ahead of the party are you potentially? One of the things I want to chat about. I got to wrap up this segment, or okay. this part of that campaign, hopefully in the next session so we can get... Because it's really the prelude, actually. Okay. I think I mentioned it to them even though I shouldn't have. <laughs> All right, well, great. Brett's really putting the heat on me for the next episode. Okay, well, if that's all, you got anything else, Brett? No, I'm good, man. All right, good night and good gaming. <laughs> I'm, Sh- I'm Sean. <laughs> I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Guy, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goat, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David Balog, Chad Gleiman, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jeff Seifert, and Aaron Ralia. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.